is up, church family? How we doing? Good to see you guys. Uh, Want to say real quickly, tomorrow, Cody and I celebrate 18 years of marriage, and so want to honor her for sticking it out. It's getting pretty serious, guys. It's getting pretty serious. Uh, we got school starting up for a lot of our kids tomorrow. How many guys, kids? Going to school tomorrow. I know we got all kinds of different options. <laughs> Some of the families are like, yeah, praise God. Uh, yeah, we're sending our kids back to school. Uh, we tried the homeschooling route and the teachers stunk. And so we, we decided it's, it's best to let the professionals do the teaching. Uh, turn in your Bibles to Psalm 52. If you have your Bibles, Bible apps, we'll have it on the screen as well. Psalm 52, we'll get to it here in a second. How many of you have ever had somebody tattletale on you? Anybody, any kids in the room? Anybody, any kids in the room? You got a sibling that's tattletale on you? That's what we call it when I was growing up, tattletales, tattletales. We changed it up a little bit these days. Now, nowadays we call them snitches. They're snitching on us. We got snitches. I don't know about you. I don't really, I don't like snitches. I don't care for snitches. I like how they say it in the streets, you know, the streets of Cabot, as it were. Streets of Cabot, you know, snitches get stitches. That's how we say it out in the streets. That's right. I always hated it growing up, man, when, when you know, a sibling would tattletale. I asked my mom yesterday, I said, Mom, who is the worst at tattletelling? And I, and I said, I was like, it was my sister, right? And she like, she's like, no, it was you, sweetheart. You were the worst. You definitely tattletailed the most. I was like, that's because I have such high moral standards. That's the reason why. But I, it, it drives me crazy when my kids tattletale on each other. And you, you guys know how this is. If you raise kids, you can tell, you can tell by the way their feet sound as they're walking through the house to come to you. You can tell while they are not even in the same room, you can tell they're coming to tattletale on someone. And, you, and, and you're already just like, oh, why can't y'all just work it out? Like, just stop tattletaling all the time. Uh, or as my son Corbin says in his very confident intellectual way, he's like, I am not a tattletale. I am a confident, reliable source of information that you need to listen to. <laughs> like, yeah, right. But I do find that when people tattletale, they don't usually say it exactly how it went. You know, and depending on the child, they may be a little more dramatic than the other kids. So it may just been like, you know, one of the kids bumped into the other kid, but that kid that got bumped, they're gonna come to you and make it sound like the other person tried to chop their arm off with a chainsaw. Like it was just the most dramatic. It's like, and, then, and then they threw the four, full force of their body weight into me and tried to shove me through the wall. Because usually there's, there's not a ton of truth in it. They're tattletaling typically because somebody did something to them. They, they have this offense. So in this, this chapter in, in Psalms, this, this is a, a Psalm of David and he is aiming this at a snitch. He's aiming this at a tattletale. So let's read this together. Why do you boast of evil, you mighty hero? I love sarcasm in the Bible. It just helps me feel so much better about my life. Why do you boast all day long, you who are a disgrace in the eyes of God? You who practice deceit. Okay, I wanna pause just real quick because this is just the thought I had. I don't want you to read this through the lens of the flesh. I don't want you to read this through the lens of, of 
people that you may try to project this on. I want you to read this through the lens of the new covenant in the New Testament through Jesus that says we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We don't wrestle against people. Our fight's a spiritual battle, okay? So let, let's look at it through those lenses. You who practice deceit, your tongue plots destruction. It is like a sharpened razor. You love evil rather than good, falsehood rather than speaking the truth. You love every harmful word, you deceitful tongue. Surely God will bring you down to everlasting ruin. He will snatch you up and pluck you from your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living. The righteous will see and fear. They will laugh at you saying, here now is the man who did not make God his stronghold, but trusted in his great wealth and grew strong by, destroy, by destroying others. But I, and this is the verse, I want you to underline this. This is what we're gonna focus in on today. But I am like an olive tree flourishing in the house of the Lord or in the house of God. Another translation said, I'm established, established. I trust in God's unfailing love forever and ever. For what you have done, I will always praise you in the presence of your faithful people. And I will hope in your name, for your name is good. The olive tree is mentioned a bunch throughout the Bible, 35 times. It talks about olive oil. Uh, olive trees are mentioned 200 times. Uh, the, there's many parts of the temple that were made out of olive wood, the doorpost of the temple. Olive oil was used for the lamps in the tabernacle lamps. Uh, olive oil was used to anoint kings. It, it usually symbolized God's power, his anointing, his favor. So God holds the olive tree and its fruit is, is really highly important throughout scripture. But it, anytime there's something in, the, in, in nature, in, in the natural that God keeps using over and over and over again in scripture, it's usually because he wants us to see how it correlates to who we are and how there's this comparison that we can draw from whatever this is uh, to our own lives, to, to how we should be. And that's what David says. He's like, but I'm gonna be like an olive tree. And so when I think of this, this snitch, okay, uh, this is the context of this, this passage. Uh, there was this guy named Doeg. And uh, Doeg, he was the, the chief herdsman for Saul. At this point in scripture, David is running away from Saul. He's got a few uh, men that are with him, but they are on the run. They come to uh, this, the town of Nod, which is where the, the, the tabernacle, not the tabernacle, but the Ark of the Covenant, that's where it resided at that time, okay? So they come into Nod, uh, but they go to the temple and they're hungry and the lead priest that's there, he's like, well, I don't have anything to feed you, but I have the consecrated bread that has been sitting there for over a week. And so, uh, and Jesus actually winds up referring to this when it comes to taking care of people uh, when, he, when he was doing his ministry. But he said, you can have that. And David said, okay, great, but I also need a weapon. And this is, I love this part. I love this part because he says, well, the only weapon I have is Goliath's sword. I love this. Because in this, what God is doing is he's reestablishing, David, don't forget who you are in me. That even though there's this tyrannical king, even though there's this, these situations and these circumstances, don't forget that when you trust in me, you will slay giants. Don't forget this. 
And so he brings out Goliath's sword and gives him Goliath's sword. But there's this Doag who goes and snitches to Saul and lets Saul know, hey, I saw David. I saw David. I saw David and his guys. You know, Satan is called the accuser of the brethren. He's the father of lies. So he's constantly, he, he, you know what Satan is? He is the ultimate snitch. But when he comes to report, he's always gonna speak to the worst case scenario of who you are. The great thing is, it doesn't even phase the heart of God if you are in Christ. Because when you are in Christ, it's just like, whatever. That is not who my kid is. Has that ever happened to you when one of your kids comes to tell your other kids, like, I'm sorry, this just doesn't sound like your brother or sister. That happens to us all the time. But I love that, that because of this interaction and in this moment, like David is emboldened in his confidence in Christ. And he says, I'm an olive tree. What is an olive tree? Why is he talking like that? First of all, an olive tree is incredibly rooted. Write that down. It's rooted. The olive tree was this stout, evergreen tree. Actually, you know, olives are actually fruit. I don't know if you knew that. They're actually fruit. And, and it's amazing how the olive tree can thrive even in some of the most adverse environments of frost and drought and poor soil. It can typically live at least 500 years, although some people think that there's olive trees that have been around for a couple thousand years uh, when we went to Israel, we saw some olive trees that, that a lot of people believe might have been there even at the time of Jesus, which is kind of crazy to think about. Like when we're walking around where the Garden of Gethsemane was, around the Mount of Olives, and we're seeing these trees, like, oh my goodness, like Jesus might have been praying around these trees, you know, so you stop and you pray, like, I don't feel the same thing he probably felt, but, uh, but, it, it, but it, it's just amazing. But they're, they're, they're so unique, they're so interesting. They're, they have these huge root systems that keep them healthy and strong. They go wide, but they go deep. As men and women follow Jesus, they should be like an olive tree with their roots, established, strong, immovable. In Proverbs 12, 3, it says this, no one can be established through wickedness but the righteous cannot be uprooted. You see, beneath the surface of what people can see, God is always trying to grow something bigger in our lives. God is trying to give us a root system. But it doesn't happen without you intentionally letting him work and move and, and intentionally focusing on what it takes for those roots to go deep and to establish themselves and be strong. I find that whatever you focus on in your life typically grows. You ever notice that? Like, like an example would be like this. Like you ever, like you, you, you found this car that you really, really wanted, right? Like right, right now, everybody wants the new Bronco. How many of y'all, you think like you want the new Bronco? Right now, really what it is, it's all you people driving around four-door four door Jeeps. Now you want the Bronco, okay? So I'm just waiting because then I'm gonna be able to get one of your Jeeps really cheap because you guys are all gonna move on and get your Broncos, okay? And that's great. So you gotta go, you're gonna buy that vehicle, but how many of y'all know once you buy a vehicle, you start noticing how many people drive the same vehicle as you now? 
You ever notice that? It's like, man, this is what I want. It's going to be so great. But as soon as you get that, you start noticing, man, they got one. They got one too. They got like everybody because all of a sudden you're focused on it because it's personal to you. It's real to you in that moment. Here's the thing. This is not going to sound like a very deep scientific thought, but branches are nourished by the root. Branches do not survive because of themselves. They survive because of the root. So if you want there to be something produced in your life, you better bring some attention to your roots. And if they're established and if they're healthy and they're not just wide, but they go deep. And I'll tell you what, for roots to go deep, man, a lot of times the way the roots go deep is they go deep through adversity. Usually roots go deep when there's less water because they're having to go deep to find the water. So how do we become rooted? Well, become well-rooted when we submit our lives to God. That's the first way, like he has to start there. But just saying I love God or I believe in God is not being submitted to God. You see, submitted to God, the word submission means you come under. You are completely subjugated to who he is. You can't, like, like we tell our kids, slow obedience is no obedience. So if our kid's like, yes, ma'am, but, whoa. No, 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 as soon as you say, but, you're no longer in the yes, ma'am phase. You're in the, I wanna give a reason why I don't necessarily have to phase. But when you're submitted, you just say, yes, I'll do it. Submitted, we become well-rooted when we plan ourselves in the church. This gives us roots. We need to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. And this is not church services. This is the church, the body of Christ. We have to be rooted in it because it connects you to something bigger than yourselves. When we looked at these olive trees in Israel, there are these little shoots at the, at the base of these olive trees. And, 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 and the trunks of these trees, even though the olive tree may not be very tall, some of the trunks of these trees are several meters around in circumference. It's just, but it, at the base, right around the roots, there's these little sprouts. And so we asked our guide, we said like, what are those? He's like, well, those are actually like, like new olive trees. They're like new sprouts. But what'll happen is they will grow and then they will wrap around the rest of the trunk and they will help become a part of it and help support that trunk. Man, what a great picture of the body of Christ. Paul talks about that. He's engrafting us in. So you've gotta be rooted in the church. We become well-rooted when we believe in God's truth. You're gonna be a wave in the sea blown and tossed all over the place if you don't have some of this in your life. Know what it says and not know what it says for somebody 2,000 years ago, but know what it says for you by the leading of the Holy Spirit. And it's not enough, I'm sorry, it's not enough for you to get it here at church. 
You know, I, I'm, I am not that good of a teacher. I don't got enough time. Y'all, way too easy distracted. It's gonna have to happen outside of church services too. In your daily walk, do you have the truth of the word of God? That you spend a little bit of time every day, not just reading through, but marinating in it. So it becomes a part of you. So you have that truth. We become well-rooted when we surround ourselves with godly relationships. When we surround ourselves with godly relationships, how do you know if you have godly relationships? They make you want to be more godly. And you help them become more godly. I didn't say Christian friends. I said godly friends. It means they're not just interested in the label, they're interested in the fruit of what it means to be a believer. And they're gonna help you produce more and you're gonna help them produce more. But we gotta surround ourselves with strong people. The redwood trees out in California. I, I've got to spend a lot of time like around them, but one time I did a road trip and I had to drive down close to Yosemite and so I got to see these trees and you just have no idea how big these trees are. It's amazing how big these trees are. And, and, and so they grow several hundred feet tall and they can range in age in the hundreds of years and, and a lot of people think into the thousands of years old. So there are these huge trees, but the thing is, there's a lot of storms and stuff that come through the park. And so, so the question is like, how do, they, how do these huge trees remain so strong for so long? And it's because of their root system. And we've already talked about this, but the, the, the thing about the redwood root system is all the roots intertwine. So they hold on to each other. That's where the strength comes from. The strength comes from they're not just growing themselves. They understand that their growth is dependent on somebody else's growth. And the growth of those people is dependent on them. So they grow together. But an interesting thing happened. Back in 2003, these two huge sequoias fell without really any explanation. One of them was probably around 350 years old. The other one is almost 700 years old. And so as they investigated this, the botanists looked at it and the scientists looked at it. The only conclusion they could come to was that the reason why they fell is because over decades, over a couple hundred years, the foot traffic around the base of these trees trampled the roots, weakened them, and they fell. You live in a day and an age and a generation that is constantly gonna try to trample your faith. Here's the thing, you get to dictate how much foot traffic's in your life. If you don't build some boundaries, I promise you the media, social media, your world, your schedule, the pressures of culture, the, the, the pressures of peers, all that will become foot traffic. And before you know it, you will have way too much going on that's gonna damage the roots of who you are in Christ. And it's gonna set you up to fall. An olive tree is also pruned. This is just a fancy gardener, Christianese mean, a word that means cut back. Cut back. An olive tree can be productive for centuries, but it has to be regularly pruned. It doesn't matter how old it is. 
doesn't matter how long it's been existent, it has to be pruned. There's some trimming that has to happen. You can have a productive life in Christ, but you're gonna have to be pruned. There's gonna have to be some things that are cut back in your life pretty regularly. John 15, verse one. I am the true vine and my father's the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does brute fruit, he prunes so that it may be even more fruitful. So there's some characteristics of pruning. First of all, you gotta know pruning is not gonna kill the plant. And it's not gonna kill you either. I remember when I first moved to Arkansas, is it the crepe myrtles that you prune basically every year, okay? I didn't know what a crepe myrtle was, but we moved into one of our first houses and I was, I was going to our house and I saw one of the neighbors and he's out here and he's just cutting this thing off. Like I was like, dude, what are you doing to that tree? And he looked at me like, I wasn't from around there because I wasn't. And he's like, I did a crane right on the and I did. And I was like, I'm sorry, sir, you're gonna have to slow down. I'm not from here. I haven't opened my translator app on my phone yet. And he explained to me, he's like, yeah, you have to cut these off. Otherwise, they're not gonna be healthy when it's time for them to grow again. But it looked like it was a perfectly healthy tree. Why would you cut off these big, beautiful green branches? so that it could always produce big, beautiful branches. The same thing happens in our lives. Sometimes God's gonna cut what you feel like is this big, beautiful thing out of your life so that you can continue to produce what he designed you and created you to produce. And it's gonna hurt. And sometimes like, God, why are you doing this? You're gonna kill me. God's like, no, it's not gonna kill you. Just wait. You'll never feel more alive than when you'll let me prune you. Cut this stuff back. Pruning is necessary for growth. You gotta cut some stuff back if you wanna grow. No pain, no gain, though. There's a part of your character. There's a part of who you are. It's gonna have to constantly be refined if you wanna see growth. Pruning eliminates unwanted growth. Pruning eliminates unwanted growth. Because a lot of times, you know, plants, trees, they have branches that kind of have a mind of their own. They're growing in directions that are gonna cut off sunlight from the rest of the tree or they're gonna be rubbing up against another branch or growing into your house or growing into places that aren't best for them to grow. We can head in the wrong direction sometimes too. We can experience a lot of growth in a certain direction and it not be the direction God wants us to grow in. And pruning can get our attention, bring us back to God, exposes, refines our character, cuts the junk out of our lives. Because we can all have a tendency to add some junk in our life, in different areas of our life, like schedule. 
We can have a tendency just to add some more things into our schedule. But it isn't necessarily the direction God wants us to grow. Certainly with belongings. Hello. One of the best things about moving is purging. And when we moved out of our last house, I was, it was one of those times I was so proud of my wife because sometimes she can have a difficult time letting go of things. She did not have a difficult time this time. I took eight full truckloads and a couple trailer loads to Goodwill when we moved. Like, I fully expect to be walking through y'all's house and see some of our stuff because, like, we got rid of a bunch of stuff. And we still got a lot of stuff. But sometimes we can add just things. You have to understand your possessions do affect your spirit. Your possessions affect your heart. Because whether they affect your heart because of your focus on possessing them or they got your heart because of what you spent to possess them, they have some of your heart. So be careful how your belongings grow. Also just habits. Like some habits can grow. I don't know about y'all. I've been having to fight some habits growing during this season. Like for some of y'all, Netflix binging has taken on a completely new meaning. Just screen time, things like that. Relationships. Just because some relationship came into your life doesn't always mean it's from God. It doesn't mean you have to necessarily cut it off, but you don't want to put a lot of the root energy that God is pouring into you to give to that if there's another place that you're going to wind up neglecting. Because there is some foundational things that God commands us to produce in. And if you're married, it's first and foremost your spouse. If you got kids, it's them after that. And then after that, it is his kingdom. It is the body of Christ. But sometimes, look, the enemy can bring a really good-looking relationship along in your life. And you can think, man, this is, this is the friend, this is the person, this is the whatever. Be careful how you grow in relationships. Finances, certainly. Some of y'all, I wish I was growing in my finances. That'd be awesome. But sometimes what you're growing in is debt. There is therefore no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And some of you have put yourself in a position financially where it's very difficult for you to fulfill your purpose in regards to the kingdom of God because you have no extra to be able to give. Well, I wanna let you know there's a lot of godly, helpful resources that can help you get back on track. It's gonna start with you being humble and admitting, man, I just don't have a lot of self-control in this. And it has grown beyond my ability to do anything about it. Well, let us help you. But God wants you to get healthy. Pruning happens at the proper time. Pruning happens at the proper time. So most of the time you want to prune plants when it's getting ready to head into a dormant season. And a lot of reason for that is because it minimizes diseases. It minimizes its vulnerability. 
I just want to let you know that God's timing is perfect. God's timing is perfect. He is all-knowing. He knows exactly what you need and when you need it. Don't resist the season of pruning. Pruning improves strength and health. Plants certainly grow stronger and healthier when they're pruned. Sometimes when we're being pruned, we can feel so weak. Like we're not going to make it, but we actually are getting stronger. Because when you prune, it's easier for you to focus your life on what really matters. It'll open you up for what I would call divine appointments and connections. You see, when your life is too cluttered and you haven't allowed the Lord to prune you, you will miss how he will position you. I wanna tell you this, I, I would rather be constantly pruned in the presence of God and allow him to set up a conversation where I can get to know somebody's story and share some of my story and lead them to the Lord than if I'm so focused in my mind and with my thoughts and everything else that I don't even notice the person because I've just got too much growing. It'll always yield an increase. It gives you margin. We all need margin. All of us. If you have a pulse, you need margin. If you live in the United States of America, I guarantee you, you don't have enough margin in your life who we are as a culture in so many respects. Also, an olive tree is fruitful. So we know this olive tree, it produces this small, bitter oval fruit. It's actually ripe when it's black. It's fruit juice. Olive oil is a fruit juice. I never think about it that way. Like I'd never grab a bottle of olive oil and be like, wow, I love my fruit juice. <laughs> that would be disgusting but that's exactly what it is. It's, it's producing fruit. Verse five of chapter 15 in John says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, then you will bear much fruit. If, if you remain in me and I in you, it's this mutual dialogue, it's this mutual relationship, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Not apart from me, well, you'll still be able to manage some stuff. No, you may produce some fruit, but remember, your roots are weak, so that fruit won't last. It'll go away. Once you're grounded in God's word and biblical community, once you're, once you're grounded in God's word and biblical community, then we should produce fruit. And that fruit is service and love towards others. You know, learning to serve and love and, and, and care for people, it takes effort, especially when it's people that are not easy to care for and love. Just like it, it takes a process of maturing for an olive tree to produce fruit, it, it, there's a process of maturing that has to happen in us for us to produce the fruit that God wants us to produce. But our lives should produce good fruit. So if we're gonna flourish in the house of God, will produce fruit. 
I think for some of us, you feel like, look, I feel like I'm ready. Like I'm mature in the Lord. I'm just asking, like, what do I do? I'm ready. I want to produce some fruit. And you've been asking God, God, what's next? I just want to encourage you. You need to release the expectations for the fruit that is not in season yet. Because there is a season coming. And just because you feel like you're producing the fruit, it may not be totally ripe yet. And it may not be the time for it to be harvested. It may not be the season. And every season is different. I'm thankful in Arkansas we actually have four seasons, right? Like, I like that. Like, right now in 2020 and it being summer, it feels like hell. But be encouraged. Fall is around the corner, people. It's coming. It's coming. And then my wife's least favorite time of all, winter because she is like a lizard and does not have the ability to produce her own body heat. But spring will come, spring will come. Life happens in season. Don't get frustrated by this season. Focus on the fruit that's gonna come from it. But instead of focusing on the fruit, make sure your roots are growing deep. God will take care of the fruit. He'll give you the time, the place, the people. He'll give you the why. He'll give you the where, the who, the what. Just focus on him. In reality, Jesus Christ is the roots. It's our identity in him. It's our ability to find our confidence in who we are in him that gives us our roots. Who we are, it's nourished by who we are in him. So we're branches. We can't be arrogant and boast about ourselves. Because if we're not connected to him, we're not going to do anything. Branches depend and believe in the root. Or they're not going to survive. They certainly aren't going to produce fruit. So, with all the craziness, don't lose sight of the fact that you are never wrestling against flesh and blood. You're never wrestling against the other political party. You're never wrestling against people. You're wrestling against the adversary, the accuser of the brethren, the greatest snitch that ever lived. And the best way for you to stay rooted and founded, remind him who he is and that he is already a defeated foe. 
and then let your own ears hear exactly who you are because of where your roots are and who your roots are. I wanna pray for you. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads. As I said before, the only way that you can be established is you have to decide who is your Lord. You have to make the decision. Who are you submitted to? Being submitted to God is not just a routine. It is more than just doing good things or having good thoughts. It is not being a good person or having a label or a title, even if the label or title is Christian. Having a relationship with God is you coming to a place complete and total surrender. I submit to you. I submit to you. The reality is even believers will always have areas of their lives that the Holy Spirit will come and help them realize that it is not completely submitted and that is where the pruning process is always taking place. But it can't even begin if your heart and everything that it is, and this is the amazing thing. The amazing thing about submitting to God is because of Jesus, you don't bring your best to submit to God, you bring everything and submit it to God. He, he, he is so excited to see someone that comes in the, the, the rawness and the truth and the honesty of all their mistakes and all their failures and all their shortcomings and all their struggles and all everything that the world would look at and that you would even look at and feel potential shame or regret or condemnation for. And God just wants you to bring all of that so that he can replace it all with the likeness of Christ. This amazing exchange at salvation is where God takes everything that is you and throws it as far as the east is from the west. And from the day that you submit your lives completely and totally to who he is, the only way he sees you from that day forward is he sees you exactly as he sees his son. Man, what an amazing exchange. So if you're here and you've never submitted to him, or maybe you did, but you just, you've been away from him. You sense it in your heart, you sense it in your spirit, and you're just ready to come back to him. If you're either one of those people, I wanna give you opportunity just to respond to what he's already speaking to your heart. I wanna ask you just to be bold enough to admit it, just to confess it. Between me, you, and God, I wanna pray with you. I wanna believe that today you can begin the process of being rooted, founded, flourishing in the presence of God. So if you're one of those people, you know you need to give your life to him, you're away from him, nobody's looking around, will you just put your hand up right now? Across the room, as soon as you see your hand, you can put it down. Thank you guys, got it, thank you guys. Anybody else? Got it, thank you. Anybody else? I'm just away from God. I need Jesus. I need a relationship with him. I need to submit my life to him. I've been doing the church thing. I've been doing the Christian thing, but I've honestly got it, buddy. 
I've honestly just never been surrendered to him and I want I want him to have complete control of my life. Anybody else? I got you. Father God, I thank you for those few hands. I thank you for the couple of young men and women that are in here right now. Thank you for this amazing season when our kids get to be in here and hear the word of God with us and worship with us and, and see us worship and see our, our devotion, our commitment to you, Lord. Thank you that, that, that those few hands of those young people, that you, you're speaking to their hearts. Thank you, God, that you're moving. And if you raise your hand, we're just gonna be honest with God. We're just gonna say, God, I know that I've made a lot of mistakes. I can't even count how many mistakes I've made, but I know that, I know that my sin, it separates me from you. And I don't wanna be apart from you. I want my whole life to belong to you. So I believe that you pay the price for my sin when you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for me. And right now, I ask for your forgiveness. And I don't want you just to save me from my sin, but God, I wanna be different. I wanna be the person that you've called me to be, which means I know that I can't keep living for the world or with the world or on my own. I've gotta live for you. And so I turn away from living for myself. I turn away from living for the world and I'm gonna walk towards living for you. I repent, God. Give me a new start. Give me a new life in you. I thank you that my sin and death was defeated when you rose from the grave, Jesus. Father, I thank you for every person that's in this room who's in the process. The thing about roots is you can't always see what's going on. But God, we're gonna keep trusting you. We're gonna trust you, Jesus. We're gonna trust that everything that we may be going through, God, it is preparing us for a season of fruitfulness, a season when we can grow the way you want us to grow and live out the purpose that you've called us to live out. And I pray in the name of Jesus that every person in here would be encouraged. God, help us to lift our eyes up. Help us to stay out of the weeds of, of this world. Help us to, to see where the fight is really fought and won. Give us spiritual eyes to see, spiritual ears to hear. Give us your words to speak. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.